Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn to uh, a more than likely familiar passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 17 may be the most told battle of all time. And um, it also may be the most misunderstood battle of all time. Um, And uh, hopefully by the end of our uh, time this morning, um, after we spend a few moments in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, we can understand what's happening and uh, what those events are pointing to, or who those events are pointing to. So if you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you, I'm going to read a few of the verses, and then we're just going to talk for a little bit. Um, then I'm going to read some more and talk some more, and um, probably do that a couple more times. First Samuel 17, starting in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies, not just one army, their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephs-Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and uh, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and with his spear's head, it weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, come to you this morning, and God, I I ask that as we uh, spend the next few moments um, looking at this passage of Scripture, Father, as we uh, spend our time in 1 Samuel chapter 17. God, we would not just see um, this battle, 
got a story, uh, an episode, an account that uh, is so familiar to us. But Father, we would see you working. Not just working in that day, but Father, working. And what this picture that is painted for us shows us about you working in our day. Father, may we see your word clearly. May we see you clearly through your word. We love you. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. I ask it in his name. Amen. As we share the, uh, the historical account of this fight this morning, I pray that it encourages us. I pray that it challenges us for our day. This story has been used for uh, pep talks, before ball games, before battles themselves. It has been used to uh, encourage individuals as underdogs to uh, get out there and you can slay the dragon or the giant in front of you. But I pray that as we walk through this, you and I will see that uh, it's not us slaying any giant. And you and I will find ourselves in this passage of Scripture and applied this passage of Scripture to our own lives. But before we can do that, um, I need to allow you to see the context or the setting or the scene that is described here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. First, you and I need to understand that Philistia, the, the Philistines, were the neighbors of Israel, but they were also the enemies of Israel. They hated Israel, and Israel hated them. Everything that they did was to advance the line of the kingdom of Philistia further into Israel, away from the sea, or for them to fight against Israel's advance to try to take over or take back land that they already had. They hated Israel. Israel hated them. They outnumbered Israel. We saw there in verse number one that they gathered their armies and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered there in verse number two. And they had a champion. This champion was huge. This champion was from a town called Gath and they were known for giants. And Goliath was the greatest of them all. So they just thought, hey, let's save some lives because I don't think that anybody in the world can beat him. So let's just send him out there. And so therefore he is sent, as we will read in just a moment, to stand and to call out for someone, as he says there in those latter verses. He stood in verse 8 and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Every single morning he came out and said these words. Every single afternoon he closed the day by coming to that same spot and saying those same words to defy Israel and to defy God. 
And that lasted not one day, not five days, not 10, not 20, not 30, but 40 days, 80 times. He stands up in the morning and he stands up in the afternoon for 40 days and speaks these words. Understanding the context or the setting, let's look at a few insights. Let's continue reading. Read verse number 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The first insight comes from this verse. Looking solely at the foe turns warriors into statues. Looking solely at the foe. When they saw Goliath standing there in that valley... And as they saw him, and as they heard him, as he was screaming up on their mountainside, those words, just send somebody out here. And if anybody could do that, if anybody could take me, we'll be your servant. But if I take them, you're our servants. Just looking at that foe, those warriors, Saul and all his men, that army of Israel froze. Everyone on Israel's side of the valley had lost heart. Everyone on Israel's side of the valley were shaking in their boots as they watched morning after morning and evening after evening this giant come out and taunt and challenge them and curse their God. Forty days into this, A dad sends a son. Look there in verse number 17. Jesse said to David, his son, Hey, take your brothers an ephah of parched grain. An ephah in our day's weight is six gallons. Okay? So, in essence, take take your your brothers a five-gallon bucket in some... And just travel over there to that valley and and you just carry that grain for them. And also take ten loaves and and take some cheese for the commanders. Just load your own wagon, David, and get over there and get me some news about the battle. Jerusalem Times of the day had uh, stopped stopped their, um, their paper and the service of their paper going up into the hills where Jesse and David, Jesse's son, lived. And Jesse was interested about his three boys, the oldest three that he had sent with Saul in the army. He wanted some news, so he sent David to take some food to them and their commanders and also to get some news about the battle. Continue reading there in verse 17. And carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and he left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. He talked to them, behold, the the champion, the, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. What was it like the first time you heard important news? I know what it's like after you've heard it 40 times. We just brush kind of over it. But the first time that you heard this important news, did it not pique your interest? Did your ears not turn toward it? David hears these words for the first time, and he turns his attention away from his brothers. He turns his attention away from the items that he brought, and he is listening intently to the words of the giant. But he's not listening the same way that all that army had been listening. He's not listening with those ears of fear. His focus is not solely on the foe or on the giant like the warriors that are now statues. Second insight in these verses, we see not only that, but we see faith is the opposite of fear. It's a point that I've made over the last few weeks for us, but it is front and center again for us right here. Faith is the opposite of fear. It's always about who, it's always about what the faith is rooted in that gives it substance. Pointed toward those things that matter. And David's faith was not rooted in his physical appearance, in his muscles, in his might, but his Faith was in his God. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, verse 24 states, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he he has come up to defy Israel and the king. The king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? Takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy Not the armies of Israel, but the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. 
when David heard what was the prize, it's as if he says, okay, where's the line? Where's, where's the line? I, I know I'm not going to be first in line, but, but where's the line? I, I, I want to get in line so that if by any chance possible, I can be the one, but I, I'm sure that I'm not the first in line, but just show me where the line is so that I can go get in the line and get my hands on this Philistine. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith in a a jelly bean won't turn it into a beanstalk, but faith in a supernatural God who is present in times of trouble will see him act and move in a life. Faith is action. The action here was generated, one, by a love of God, a love for God. Second, it was generated, David's action was generated not just for a love of, a love for God, but his action was generated because of a love for people and also a hatred of evil. And he wanted to be in line, not talking about it as everyone else was, but he wanted to be in line for action. We'll have a time of application at the end. But just for a moment, when there is a foe in front of you, what is your first inclination? When the obstacle is there, your attention is on it or on them, what is your first inclination? Is your first inclination to gripe and complain? I have that t-shirt in multiple colors. Is your first inclination to moan and groan, oh, woe is me, because this has come up? Or is your first inclination action? Says much of us what our first instinct and inclination is when we meet obstacles. Obstacles at the house or obstacles in work, obstacles in life. When news comes our ways, that is not easy. What is our first response? Faith is the opposite of fear. It's not necessarily unbelief. Every man on the side of Israel's mountain believed in God. They believed that they were in God's army. They believed that they were doing what he wanted them to do. It wasn't that they were not believing in God. It was that they feared someone or something more than they feared him. And if you and I keep our attention just on the foe, we will be frozen and we will find ourselves in fear. But what you and I need to understand is that the outcome is already decided. A third insight this morning from this passage is that in itself, the outcome has already been decided. The victory is the Lord's. Let me continue reading this passage. I'm going to pick up in verse number 31. 
when the words that David spoke were heard, and here's what David said. David said, hey, I, I want to be in line. Put, get me there. When the words that David spoke were heard, they were repeated before Saul, and he sent for him. Forty days into the, the battle, finally somebody has said, hey, I'll go fight him. And that news got to the king, and the king was, yes, let's, let's do this. And David said to Saul, let, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, points at himself, I'm guessing, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, uh, you're not able to go up against the, this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth and he has been a man. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, um, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, I'm encouraged. Whew. You, you have got the blood flowing in me. Go. Go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go. For he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not tested them. And David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. And he approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
I will give your dead bodies to the host of the Philistines this day, uh, to the bird of the host of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Pause for a second. David gets the okay from the king. David sets out and he picks up five smooth stones and he puts them in his pouch and he walks toward Goliath. Goliath's huge, nine plus feet tall. In front of him is his shield bearer, that guy that's carrying all his junk for him. And he is standing out in front. And it sounds as if Goliath is standing back there and David is in front of his shield bearer. And and Goliath can't even see him that he's so small. He's like, look, are you serious? This is what you sent? This little kid is what you sent. Do you think I'm a dog, Israel? Why don't you give me a man? And he starts cursing David. And David, David doesn't let it get to him. He stops him in his tracks mid-sentence. And he says, hey, it's not me, it's God. And because of what you've done, not to me, not even to these, these folks behind me, but what you've done to God, you are going down. Period. End of discussion. So Goliath. Starts moving forward, verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine as if previously the Philistine had taken his heel in the sand and and put a line through that valley and said, hey, if you step up to the line, it's on. David ran toward that line. David put his hand into his bag and took out a stone and slung it. He slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, took the Philistine sword, took Goliath's sword in the hand of David. And David killed him, cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, Goliath's hometown, the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. The people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know, but you better believe I'm going to hurry up and find out. 
And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. As soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. The account is given. And you and I can look at it and we can say, oh, well, the underdog and the underdog. And yeah, we can go do this and we can pull ourselves up and tie our own boots. But what you and I need to understand is the outcome is decided. The victory is the Lord's. In one way, shape, form, or fashion, very quickly, try to put yourself in this place in some capacity. Maybe on a daily basis, the boss belittles you. Maybe on a daily basis, he belittles or she belittles your beliefs. Students, maybe it's the teacher or the prof. They scoff at your work or your thoughts about culture, the world that you and I live in. Sir, ma'am, maybe it's been for years Now decades that mom or dad have just put those words that bite about you, about your faith. You and I need to understand in this passage, we're not David. We're not David. If we're even at the battlefield that day, we're up on the, up on the lines frozen. We're scared to death of what the world has brought to the line. Yet all along, there has been one who has been sent for a purpose, and that purpose was to go to battle for you. There has been one whose purpose was set. We will study that purpose being set next week, Lord willing, as we see this David anointed to be king. But his purpose has been set, and the battle has already been won because of the one who David has faith in. Today you and I find ourselves with job insecurity. You see this with the soldiers up on the hill. They're scared to death to fight, yet they are also insecure when a little runt comes into their line and wants in front of them to go fight. Insecurity on both sides. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's family insecurity. Eliab, the oldest brother, is upset that David is present. He's upset that dad has sent him to check on him. You ever been sent to check on siblings? Siblings didn't like it at all. Maybe as a parent, you and I find ourselves, hey, um, what do you know about your brother? What do you know about your sister? Family insecurity, fear of failure, 
The giant, this giant gets all of us at one time or another. Maybe some of the physical giants that you see in your life or in your past, they've scared you so much that you will have to come up against them again and again and again that you are frozen. Why don't we just rest in the giant slayer? Jesus has conquered every single giant. He has conquered every single giant for you. For today and forever. Cut the story that I want to tell short, but just suffice it this way. I remember growing up that um, uh, every Saturday, uh, my, my grandfather played at Ole Miss and he had five kids, and none of them liked Ole Miss. All five of them went to Mississippi State, and he said, bye, and a couple of words that I won't use today. Somebody in this family is going to love Ole Miss. And I was the first grandson, and so therefore he said, you're coming with me every Saturday to the Grove, and we went to the Grove every Saturday. And um, some of his friends were All-Americans, and one of my best friends at the time, his dad was an All-American at Ole Miss. And after a game, I, I remember he said, hey, do you want to go in the locker room? And I said, yeah, I want to go in the locker room. And he said, all right, come with me. And um, we got up to the door of the locker room, and he just walked in. And I was five or six steps behind, and the guy said, whoa. And I said, I'm with him. And he said, oh, well, go on in. Not, not because of me, not because of the group of guys. No, no, no. It's because I was with that guy that was in front of me, the All-American. And we walked around, and all the players, and I got handfuls of sweaty gear. Nasty, I know. For a 10-year-old, it was amazing. All because I was with him. That's just a story of, of a 10-year-old. But, but understand it this way. You are in a fight. The battle is around you right now. It is raging around some of us right now. And all you need to do, not stand up and get try to look for five stones in your pouch... Not try to go get your weapon of choice, but no, just say, I'm with him. The giant slayer. The one who has killed all of the giants. It is stated in the New Testament that he has been tempted in every way that you have and that I have with one difference. He did not sin. He didn't sin. You and I sin every day. May you and I find ourselves running to Him. Jesus has opened all the doors. He has slayed every giant. Let us no longer fear these things. He has conquered them with His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Live in Him. Paul got it right as he wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And He has loved you and He has given Himself up for you. 
And he has fought every single battle and won. There is no giant in your life that is not defeated. Sure, there's some issues and there's some giants and you see them. They're out there. They're they're spouting their stuff at the line of battle. But understand this, that giant has been defeated. And the only reason that he is speaking or she is speaking in front of you is because you are allowing her or him to do it. The giant's defeated. The giant was defeated some 2,000 years ago outside of the city of Jerusalem on a cross. Three days later in a tomb that is no longer filled with a dead body. That body is alive so that you and I might live today and forever and ever and ever. Do not live defeated, sir. Do not live defeated, ma'am. Is it easy? Yes and no. It's easy if you rest in Him. And then five seconds later when you rest in Him again, and five minutes later when you rest in Him again, is it easy on your own? You should know it's not. So why do we do it? Knowing there is only one answer. Why? But I'll say it this way. The reason we do it is because we're sheep and we need a shepherd. And because we're sheep and dumb, we forget that He is our shepherd. And we try to do it our own. But the giant that's in front of you right now, and there are giants in front of you, I know it. I'm not saying this is easy. It's not easy for me. I'm not saying it's easy for you. But the giants in front of you, whether they're family, whether they're self, whether they're physical items that this world has brought in front of us, whether it's job, finances, whatever that giant is, you fill the blank in. It's your giant. That giant's defeated. You and I just need to live that way. Because he or she or it was defeated by Christ for you. Father, we come this morning and... Father, although we are all underdogs, we're worse than that. There is no hope. We're frozen on the hillside, scared in our boots, Father, of this huge issue in front of us. An issue that that takes away the security of life that we think we must have. And we're frozen. Father, may we see you. Father, may we see that you have already acted for us. You've already slayed the giants. God, I pray that that River Bend as a whole, and that myself and those that make up Riverbend as individuals, God, that we would have faith in you, not fear, when we face the situation of whatever giant comes our way this afternoon, tomorrow morning, 2020, beyond. God, you have won the victory for us. And I'm so thankful. May we celebrate who you are. May we celebrate all that you've done for us. For there is no hope without you. God, as we respond back to you this morning, as we lift our voices again, 
to sing of your praise and of your glory and of your worth and your actions that you have done for us and to us. May it be pleasing to you. May we come broken. May we come afresh and new for fellowship. May we come to you as a father. You know our needs and we thank you for for responding even before we come. Thank you. I ask it in your son's name. In Jesus' name. Amen. It is that time that we uh, respond back to him. And so I ask that you, as we stand and as we sing or as you sit, that you would respond right back to him as Alex leads us. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live simple.